stocks, bonds, ETFs, straight out of downtown Chicago. This is Zach's Market Edge. Welcome to Zach's Market Edge, the podcast about investing in your life. I'm your host, Tracy Reinick. And this week, I'm joined by Kevin Cook, one of Zach's senior stock strategists, for what is our 300th podcast episode. <laughs> 300 episodes of the Zach's Market Edge. You can actually listen to all of them over on SoundCloud if you're so inclined. But you can find most of them as well on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify. A lot of our old episodes are on there. Hard to believe we've been around for 300 episodes. That's since 2015. So on this week's episode, I want to talk about what we've learned about investing in the last seven years. It's been kind of a wild ride during that time period. Um, So I'm just going to cover a few things that have happened since we've been doing the podcast and topics we've covered on the podcast including kind of starting with the crude plunge that started there in 2015 and continued into 2016 with that manufacturing recession. We also had a big stock sell-off in January 2016. Most don't remember that one, but up until here in January 2020, it was one of the bigger January sell-offs. Then we had the Fed starting to raise rates there in 2017 into 2018. It slowed the housing market, but um, I've just been told by Kevin that it also slowed the stock market pretty dramatically. It's funny what we remember, right? So that was happening, and then we, we got beyond that, and then we finally were going somewhere, and we had the pandemic in 2020. Huge sell off in March 2020, the quickest bear market ever. Now we've had a big, huge rally, but the Fed is raising again. And for the first time in the seven years I've been doing the podcast, we're actually now talking about inflation. It was maybe mentioned off and on by John Blank when he's been on, um, but not seriously mentioning it. We mostly talked about, will we be in a recession (laughs) over that time period? Um, And so now this is big back into play. So Welcome, Kevin. Welcome to the 300th episode. Hey, I'm glad to be. I'm honored to be on yeah. the 300th episode. Uh, as I always like to remind people, you, you've you done the podcast model uh, so well that you're just so dedicated. You know, like you never miss a week and you know that that's, you know, part of the formula for building an audience. But I, I also think that you secretly enjoy it, you know, every week. <laughs> being able to talk about some aspect of the market and, yeah. you know, and we get, and there, we, we don't have a producer telling us, you know, this isn't CNBC where they're telling us what we have to say. We get right. to talk about whatever we want to. <laughs> that's true. And that's why I wanted to have you on the 300th episode because we've had some really fun episodes in the seven years. Um, a lot of them had to do with market sell-offs. So strangely enough, the 300th episode is happening during another one. And yeah. I asked on Twitter, can you have Kevin Cook on the podcast again? Because I feel like people uh, can take whatever advice you have during these corrections or pullbacks and uh, it soothes them to some extent. So we yeah, have- Yeah, that's, that's one thing we've done really well is yeah. we, we always approach it like, hey, just relax and have a plan. It's nice if you have a plan kind of going into it, you know, if you've raised a little bit of cash and then you know what you want to buy. But if you're thinking that 
oh, the bull market's coming to an end and I have and I don't want to buy anything, then you're sort of approaching it wrong. Okay. Now, the, the, the caveat I want to give here is that I certainly haven't gotten anything right. And when and so since we're going back seven years, you know, <laughs> to the beginning of this in 2015, I'll talk about a couple. I want to say two things I really got wrong. And that was that sort of that slow motion recession of 2015. You know, didn't it feel like we were just stuck in a recession? Yes. And, you know, and, and manufacturing did go into recession. Remember? Yeah, it did. It went under 50 and everyone was like, oh, no, under 50 on the PMI, it means, you know, the, the whole economy is going to go into recession. But that didn't happen. But manufacturing definitely did. Yeah. And I got fooled by the whole thing, too, because I was looking at, OK, here's the data. Here's the economic data. <laughs> and then here's what the stock market's doing. You mentioned that that, uh, you know, a, a Q1 uh, meltdown in 2016. Yeah. And I was just like, you know, not, it was just a malaise, like nothing about this feels good. You know, what, what, what's your optimism? What's your bull case? And the bull case to me was, was kind of slim other than the Fed. But, um, you know, I guess I really took my eye off the ball. Of, and I think a lot of what a lot of smart fund managers were doing was, you know, they were plugging stuff into their model about historically low rates and, and the, the economy grinding along and maybe grinding and finding its 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 footing instead of slipping into a deep recession. So yeah. Um, so the second thing I got wrong was when Brexit happened, which was oh, yeah. the, uh, June, I think, of 2016. Yes. Um, right. That. Oh, my gosh. You know, that's it. This is going to you know, it's going to send Europe spiraling into chaos and us too. And, yeah. you know, it was the exact opposite, like the market, you know, it, right. we had a one day sell off. Yeah. That? And then and then <laughs> it was just off to the races again. Yeah, that that 2015, 2016 period was uh, a, a bit of a fake out. But I do believe if I'm remembering right, that we might have had negative GDP in that first quarter of 2016 as well, because it was the manufacturer mm -hmm. was pressuring yes. it. And that was when we started to kind of see that trend of, oh, it's winter. The economy's always weakens now in that first quarter because it's winter. That's what that was the reasoning back then. Right. Um, <laughs> right. But I got I got kind of faked out on on that same period because as a value investor, I was I've been watching all all those manufacturing stocks and especially on the energy side where, you know, crude plunged down in 2015 and all those energy stocks got really low and i would have shiraz Mian, who knows all about the energy companies here on the podcast and we were going through which ones should we buy which ones have the best balance sheets and it was really a bear market fake out on that like it went down to the lows and then you did get a rebound but it never it never busted out it was not in a new bull and then the pandemic only swatted it back down again, even worse. So I looked up um, Exxon and what that's done just in the last five years. So that was after that plunge. But even in just the last five years, when it should have been recovering, it's uh, those shares are still down 13.5% in the last five years, even with a big rally in the last year and you know being the leading sector and all that. So I was way too early on energy 
um, during this period. And similarly on the banks, those were in the bear as well. I liked them as value investors. Uh, a lot of the bank insiders started to jump in and buy, including Jamie Dimon in 2016. So the again, the beginning of 2016, when things looked kind of dreary, some people were jumping in and Jamie bought $25 million worth of shares there in like February of 2016. And there were like nine or 10 insiders at KeyCore who all bought shares because those bank stocks were, were pressured on recession fears and other and just like economic slowdown fears, but that was too early too. Um, even over the last five years, the banks have recovered more, but I looked up JP Morgan, it's up 67% in the last five years, but uh, even with this pullback, the S&P 500 is still up 88% over that same time. But yeah, I was just too early on both of these areas that were impacted by the financial crisis, went into the bear market, I got faked out by a bear market rally, and then now here we are. But I do think that both of those areas have entered into a new bullish period. I'm hopeful I'm right this time, but I, I definitely got it wrong over those seven years on those two. <laughs> Under what, uh, what is that banks and energy? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I so what what if the economy really is slowing though? What and aren't those cyclical? And so what's your outlook for growth? Uh, they are, but they have been beaten down so bad. And um the way that they have had to consolidate the industry, like there's there has been a lot of or more MA on the banking side now. So a lot of the smaller banks will get wiped out. You'll start to get the regionals will start to acquire. Uh, more smaller banks and they'll consolidate. And so I still consider them to be cheap, even if we enter into, you know, possibly some kind of slowdown or even a recession. Because remember in 2001, when we had that recession after 9 11 um, and the, during the dot com bust, energy and the banks still outperformed during that period. So I'm kind of likening it to that same time period when it was also coming out of kind of a bearish period in the 1990s for both of those sectors. And then the bull was just able to maintain during the slowdown period. So yeah, I still am liking those, but I've, I've been wrong for seven years now. So we'll see, we'll see if I'm getting so it right. I, I was thinking that we could almost take this year by year because there's interesting things to talk about in every year sort of have had its own story. So it if did. we if we step ahead to 2017, I would say the story was um, bull market just raging. And it, and it was, you know, it seemed like it was easy to make money and everybody was a genius. Um, right. And I'm trying to find the, out what the story. That was the corporate tax cuts, right? Everybody okay. got a bid because, oh, they're cutting the corporate taxes. They're going to have billions of dollars. That money is going to go back into the economy. Everybody's going to get pay raises. Remember, everybody was like, "Woo!" Yeah. Except nobody got the pay raises really. But they did buy back shares. You know, companies did suddenly were flush with cash in that time period. But we also saw real growth, and especially yes. in technology. So, like, yeah. you know, you look at the you look at the semiconductors basically doubled their level. Like, I'm looking at the socks right now from uh, as it broke out in early 2016, say above the 700 on the SOX index, you know, it went to 1400 by 
um, the beginning of 2018. So in less than two years, the semiconductor index doubled. Uh, and so that was just, that was a lot, a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah. And that's when I wrote one of the most important things I've written for Zach's and that, um, that I call the technology super cycle that, uh-huh. and my thesis was that, that all these new industries like mobile and the cloud, um, and, and just anything that, you know, had embedded intelligence was fueling these new growth dynamics that, um, I don't want to say they were recession proof, but, um, that, that this sort of mega trend had legs, you know, for like 10 years because, um, you know, just the pace of innovation with Moore's law with semiconductors was sort of being reinvented by NVIDIA where, um, GPU chips, since you could spread them out and have these, this massively parallel architecture for processing, it was like creating a new Moore's law where we were getting the, the chips were getting smaller and faster and cheaper by leaps and bounds. And so we, you know, that's why, you know, you saw all these chip companies do well, no matter which, uh, end of the industry they were on, if they were, uh, the wafer fabrication guys who make the equipment to the, the fabs themselves to the, the custom makers like NVIDIA. Yeah, I know I had you on numerous episodes where we talked about Micron. It was trading at like four times earnings or something during that period as its, mm-hmm. as its earnings soared. And we, we definitely talked about the NVIDIA story because you were really big on NVIDIA, but the whole sector. And that actually is one of my big regrets because this was back in 2017, 2018 time period. So that's four four to five years ago now um, was that you were really positive about NVIDIA and where it was going. And I never bought the stock. I I was like, well, because it was still fairly pricey even back then on a PE basis. So I just never dove in. And that is one of my other regrets of that time period of missing out on uh, you know, a, a bullish storyline, so to speak, during that these seven years was the semiconductors. Yeah, um, and w- my, my struggle was that software was not doing nearly as well no. as as semis, and so and but I was I was reading all this research about not just what was happening with the cloud, but just the diversity of of different models for a SaaS business. It almost seemed like SaaS companies almost seemed like books that there was no limitation to somebody creating a new software program that served a particular industry or niche that could be sold. And yeah. and it certainly became true because the companies are just, uh, you know, the number in the thousands now. And, but I was trying to, I was trying to buy things like, like you could have bought PayPal at 50 bucks, you know, uh-huh. in, in 2017 or 2018. That was another and, one. And it seemed like the street hated it. And then all of a sudden, you know, and then 2019 comes along and everybody loves software. But I want I want to say something interesting about 2018. We the, the market went sideways for, for a good time there. Let me just look at the uh, I'm I'm still on the semiconductors. I should look at the S&P 500. Yeah. So the 2018 had its own gyrations. But the one of the most interesting things that I want to connect to what's going on now is. 
the the Fed was just starting to hike. The Fed's like, okay, we're getting a little better growth. Uh, you know, we're getting closer to our inflation targets, and so they started. They got on this path of of hiking rates, mm-hmm. and I think a, a, in a fall meeting in maybe it was in December of 2018, the the Fed dot plots basically said they were going to hike four times in 2019. While the market just threw a fit, <laughs> and and the S and P went from like, from like uh, it was we were almost up to three thousand, which would have been uh, new all time highs, and it went all the way down to like you know twenty three hundred, and it was it was, you know remember the taper tantrum when the Fed was first going to stop or scale back buying bonds. Yeah, we had a taper tantrum sometime in 2015 or 2016. Um, this was a different sort of tantrum because uh, credit spreads blew out, which basically means that the yields on junk bonds and lower credit and high yield all of a sudden were just leaping higher. You know, and qual- quality credit was stayed good, so that spread between your, you know, your triple A and your, you know, your BB or C uh, just exploded and so that made investors think oh wow the fed's going to really uh you know wreck the economy here and force us force us into another credit crisis so the market panics and then the fed backpedals the fed's like whoa 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 we didn't really mean we were going to hike four times in 2019 yeah. so you know by uh you know that what a great buying opportunity that was into that was- late this yeah, that was when we had the Christmas Eve low, right? When we had the right. plunge, the final plunge on the half mm-hmm. day session on Christmas Eve of that year. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So the, the thing I want to connect it with today is that we're in a similar situation where, um, you know, a in the stock market, people just define corrections and bear markets as, you know, 10 percent and 20 percent. Um, I don't know if the I don't know if the S and P corrected twenty percent, but the Nasdaq definitely did. The Nasdaq went down twenty three percent. Then now we're in a situation where everyone's worried about the pace of Fed hiking and inflation yeah. and slowing growth, and the Nasdaq has just corrected seventeen percent. So this is pretty normal, and it who knows it could get worse. But don't you think the whole events of twenty eighteen have set kind of a bad precedent? Because now all I see, at least on Twitter and various other chat boards, is oh, all we have to do is have a market fit. We have to send that those Russell two thousands or or the S and P way down, impact everybody's four hundred one k, and the Fed will have to, you know, pull it back. They'll they'll maybe do one, do one in March, and then they'll be done. But why are they thinking this? Like, no, this is a well. I mean, scenario. There's no. There's no collective conspiracy where you know the the cabal somewhere in a in a Wall Street uh, office tower is running the show and planning this whole thing, right? But it, it just got it. We just you know valuations did get stretched, yes. and inflation is rising and growth may be leveling off. So in that situation, it, it, uh, it's kind of a uh, everybody's looking at everybody else like who's going to sell. And then the algos can just take over and go. Let's just keep pushing this down and find all the stop losses, all the pain points, and and so that's sort of what happened this week. And I actually bought on the lows yesterday um, because it was just way overdone. The Nasdaq was down four and a half percent at one point on Monday, and 
extremely oversold, you know, yeah. like in terms of new highs and new lows, not, not like the 2020 Corona crash oversold, but reasonably right. oversold that if, if we don't go into a wholesale panic about rates, then there are some good buying opportunities right now, I think, because okay. we're, we're, we're not going into recession. And, ra and rates will still be phenomenally low. I mean, we're in this, we're in this mega cycle, right? Thir a thirty-year, you know, bull market in bonds and bear market in rates, where, you know, th that's a hard ship to turn around. And I and I don't think there's going to be enough inflation to do it because I still believe in the technology supercycle that that deflation, or or at least disinflation, will win in this decade and that we're not going to have hyperinflation regardless of what you see on YouTube videos about uh, <laughs> the, the the end of money. Well, yeah, I mean, we're not even at anywhere close to what the 1970s inflationary period looks like. So when everybody's complaining right here, I mean, the 1970s, it was over 10% for like four or five years. It wasn't even just, you know, and we're not even at 10 we're at seven per se or around there. Um, not to say it's still not, you know, impacting everybody. It is, but yeah, I feel like the Fed can uh, get it somewhat under control. Then supply chain will fix itself eventually, hopefully, after we get done with the Omicron wave. It should start to normalize a bit more. It's just taking a little longer to normalize because of all the waves of the virus. So, um, yeah, it, that's going to be the big thing going forward. So, so we're going to see. So what do you think, um, looking forward here in 2022, a little bit about combining what we've learned over the last seven years, can we use other than what we were just talking about, about the Fed and all of that, I think we can use some lessons we've learned about their prior rate increases. And even the sell-offs here, you were just uh, stating about how bad that sell-off was in 2018, and now here we are again. So are we just back to what our old advice always is on these kinds of sell-offs? Um, you know, have a plan. Um, if you have a strategy, it's not as scary. If you have some cash, you can deploy when things get cheap. That's always my favorite as a value investor. Is, is that really where we are here in 2022? Yeah, I mean, the first question you have to ask is, what is the probability of a recession? And I think that probability is still pretty low. So if, you're, if your probability of a recession is under 15%, which I think it is, then, um, then the bull market playbook is still in play. Now, you might have to be more conservative about your sectors as, you know, valuations like the cloud and software just got super rich, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, the, I mean, we don't talk about PEs in software. We talk about price to sales because there right. are no earnings. So we talk about, oh, it's okay to pay 20 or 30 times sales for this SaaS company because, you know, they're growing at 30 or 40%. Right. And so a lot of that is get that excess is getting wrung out. So no economic recession, but you know, there's obviously some excesses getting wrung out in individual sectors and, and pockets. Um, so I, I think you just make a plan. I mean, you're 
you're getting to buy stuff on sale. Like I'm buying a company called the Trade Desk, which I call the CME of advertising. And the reason I call them that is because they set up, they basically set up an exchange where ad buyers can programmatically set up their ad buys across all platforms from the from the web to connected TV and um and just you know find real estate to put their ads in front of people and I think they're just they're doing an amazing job at owning that space we we uh we bought it at $50 last year sold it at uh, 110 for you know a nice 120% gain and then now we're able to buy it again. We just bought it at 60 uh, last week. So hoping to ride it back up. Um, now, my big disappointment and failure is in Square. Um, I was a big bull in 2019. Then we make some money in 2020 and 21. And then they just decimated Square. They took Square yeah. and PayPal out behind the woodshed. I cannot believe that that Square is you know trading down to you know, 115 bucks or wherever it is. Um, and I, and I still don't know why I still don't know what, what changed in the business model of FinTech that they just destroyed that. Yeah. Even true of both those, as you said, so you would be looking in some of these other areas that were in bulls now are being sold off. You would get back in those games. Yeah. I mean, I'm getting ready to buy square because okay. I think that it's a, it's a dominant franchise. Um, and even though they paid too much, like they paid 29 billion for Afterpay, you know, the Australian buy now, pay later company, right. you know, they kind of, at first the, nobody reacted negatively, but maybe they should have because the <laughs> PayPal turned around a couple of weeks later and bought a similar buy now, pay later for only 5 billion. Yeah. So PayPal looks like the, the, the smarter acquirer there. Um, but even if, even if uh, Square made a mistake, you know they're going to be a dominant player because uh, what I love about them is they create this ecosystem for the small business person, right? And they're going to do everything for them. And Jamie Dimon even admitted this in 2019. That's why I call Square Jamie Dimon's favorite mistake because <laughs> he admires what the company did, and he's like, "We should have done that. You know, we should have done. We should have found a way to create an ecosystem to give small businesses all these services that they love us for." So answer me this, why is it so hard to buy a PayPal now after you know <laughs> you watched it all this time? It's down at over 50%, right? Isn't it? It's got to be. Yeah. Why, why do I as an investor now feel fear about buying it? What, what's the psychology well, behind that? I mean, what, so what are we talking? What's the trade in 175? Um, let me look. 158. Yeah. Okay. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so because, because our brain focuses on look how much more it could go down. Like if, if it just got, you know, completely crushed and you, and you don't know why, um, you know, you're thinking, you know, it's going to go down a lot more. So I, you know, I, I would, I would own one or the other, at least just as dominant players in FinTech. And there's a lot of competition. And maybe that's part of it too, is like the, I did a piece uh, a couple of months ago, just on the flood of venture capital money going into private FinTech. I mean, it's almost like if you got a SaaS idea or a FinTech idea, slap a shingle on it and you're going to get, 
you know, you're going to get five million for your seed round, and before you know it, you're going public at I don't know a billion dollar or two billion dollars, you know, in a couple of months. That's just how fast some of this stuff is happening. There's a company called Bolt. Do you have you ever heard of Bolt? No. Bolt took took the Amazon one-click shopping model and created a business around it where they go to websites, e-commerce companies, and say, we will set up your one-click shopping. We will verify the buyer. The buyer will be known by us. We'll, we'll have their credit information, and we will, you know, we validate the buyer so that they can one-click shop with you. And what merchant doesn't love that, right? Because Hey. The more things you have to click to buy something, the more friction there is and the less chance that you actually complete the sale. But, it, you know, what did Amazon teach us? If you can go one click and it's done, you know, um, that's huge. And so Bolt um, has seen their business grow so rapidly. And this is still private. Bolt is still private, but I'm sure they're oh, going to go public. I'm looking yeah. around for their ticker. I'm like, what? Yeah, is yeah, this? yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> the, I, I, they were probably planning an IPO and now they're a little yeah. worried. But um but their valuation grew like uh, 20x in one year, just because of you know the adoption. So, what about the fangs here? We I've done many shows about the fangs over the last seven years. Like, should you buy them? Are they overpriced? Blah blah blah. Do, should the millennials buy them? Whatever. I've done every kind of story <clears throat> on on the fangs or Fang Man, but we'll leave it with the fangs for now. Should yeah. you be interested in this? This is the first kind of bigger pullback I can remember in the fangs, at least maybe since 2018. I think if you're a long-term investor, you can't go wrong owning Apple and Facebook. Okay. You know, just because they're growth machines, they're cash generating machines, they have, um, you know, you could argue Apple has something of a moat. Facebook has a moat only because they've got 2 billion captive users, I'll call them. Right. And, and the advertising model just works. So, yeah. you know, forget about what people do on Facebook on their personal pages, but it's still a powerful place for advertisers to find their customers. And, and that growth, you know, is, is slowed a little bit, but it, um, it just continues to be a force. So I can make an argument for owning Apple and Facebook, no problem. Yeah, each one has to be determined on their own, uh, you know, merits. I feel they were always lumped, lumped together, but they always, you know, don't trade together. Yeah, or I mean, we and we 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 talk about them that way because they they tend to hold up well, yeah. even during corrections, and that's because institutions have to own them. Like if you're if you're a big, I mean, how many how many ETFs and mutual funds have to own a Apple and Facebook? And, you know, and they're probably not trimming a lot and probably buying the dips. Yeah. Yeah. I've always said basically we all own Fang. In some <laughs> way, we all own right. it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So we've covered a lot on today's episode, the 300th podcast episode for the Zach's Market Edge. Thanks for being on, Kevin. It's been fun. Absolutely. Yeah. So let me recap some of the tickers we did talk about on this very special episode. So there was Exxon, ticker XOM. We talked about the banks, JP Morgan, JPM, PayPal, PYPL, Square, or now Block. They're waiting to get a oh, change yeah. 
ticker somehow. Um, I think, didn't I? No, it was Meta. I heard that the ETF that has Meta has now left the Meta. T- they're like giving it up. So I don't know if Facebook <laughs> had to pay them for it or what was happening with that. But I would not be surprised if Facebook becomes Meta on the ticker soon. But Square slash Block, they have an issue because there is BLOK in an ETF as well. And I'm not sure they're going to be willing to to part with BLOK. I mean, so- I actually thought that was a terrible uh name change thing for for block because square is the brand square is the ecosystem for the small business person you cannot take that name away or you lose your branding i know you know but i think they're following the facebook meta thing of hey let's distance the 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 corporate entity from (laughs) anything smaller right especially like i mean let's be honest maybe one of the problems square is having is that uh bitcoin is in a bear market you know, and, and Jack Dorsey was so committed to Bitcoin. Yeah. So I don't know, maybe that was part of his reasoning for changing the corporate name. Yeah, yeah. So it's still SQ for that one. Uh, we did talk about semiconductors and we mentioned, of course, NVIDIA, NVDA. I mentioned Micron, MU. You talked about the trade desk, TTD. And then we did mention uh, two of the fangs, Apple, AAPL, and Meta now called Meta. Facebook FB is the ticker there. So be sure to subscribe so you can get all 300 of the next episodes that are coming out of the Market Edge over the next seven years. We're still going strong here and there's going to be a lot to talk about here in 2022. So be sure to get us on Apple Podcasts, on Amazon Music, on Spotify, anywhere you can get your podcast. We're on SoundCloud and you can also get the Value Investor on SoundCloud as well. But be sure to get us somewhere and I'll see you again next week with some more stocks. This material is being provided for informational purposes only and nothing herein constitutes investment, legal, accounting, or tax advice or a recommendation to buy, sell, or hold a security. Do not act or rely upon the information and advice given in this podcast without seeking the services of competent and professional legal, tax, or accounting counsel. Publication and distribution of this podcast is not intended to create and the information contained herein does not constitute an attorney-client relationship. No recommendation or advice is being given as to whether any investment or strategy is suitable for a particular investor. It should not be assumed that any investments in securities, companies, sectors, or markets identified described were or will be profitable. All information is current as of the date herein and is subject to change without notice. Any views or opinions expressed may not reflect those of Zach's investment research as a whole.